Amen. Hey, uh, my son, Micah, my oldest son, he's working in, this, in the light booth. Uh, he, he, he just disappeared. Um, he uh, does woodworking. He has a business. He does some uh, woodworking things, and he is really good at it. As a matter of fact, uh, you know, if you ever need any uh, shed built or any kind of project involving woodworking, uh, I encourage you to go see him, talk to him, and maybe uh, get him to do your job for you. Um, well, he, a couple months ago, he left me in charge of his accounts receivable for like one, one week or two while he headed back east with his, uh, his girlfriend's family. They were, they were uh, taking a trip back east, and they were driving across the country. And so... Um, a, a, a cashier's check came across my desk, and it was written out to his company. And so he called me and said, hey, Dad, can you make sure this cashier's check gets cashed? And I said, yeah, I guess I can figure that out. And so the problem was is they had bought an item for something, you know, for a certain amount, but they had written the cashier's check for way more than that amount, Right. And their, their idea was like, oh, okay, well, there's going to be somebody coming to pick it up, and then you can pay for them out of this extra money. How many guys understand what a cashier's check is? I've always thought that it's something you go to a bank for, right, and that your account has the money, and then they issue a check, and it says, like, this, this money is good. This person's money is in the bank, and this check is good. The problem is you can create a cashier's check in other ways, other than going to the bank. It's called fraud, right? It's called being a counterfeiter. And so there was a lot of concern because why would this person make this thing out for so much money? What was going on here? And so I remember I, I took this check and me and Micah were talking about like what's going on with this and I said, but it's a cashier's check. It even had like the watermark when you hold it up. It looked really authentic and really real and so I said, well, I guess I can at least take it to the bank. And I remember even asking Melissa, Melissa, our admin here at Crossroads, she used to work at Golden One for like 10 years. And she looks at it and she goes, I don't know, there's just something a little off on it, but it looks like it could be legit. I'm not sure. And so I took it over to Golden One and I stood in the line. You've got to stand in long lines these days at banks. I stood in the line, got up to the teller, and even the teller was like, I don't know, I, I don't know what to tell you. And I go, well, can you like maybe get a manager or something? And a manager came over and she took one look at this thing and she said, this is a thousand percent fake. And I said, how in the world do you know? And she goes, I see cashier's check every day. I'm very acquainted with the real cashier's check. This thing is a total fraud. You realize we're in the book of 2 Peter, and, and what Peter is writing in the church is this idea that there are going to be counterfeiters coming, and they're going to infiltrate even the church, and they're going to teach and lead a message that is false. But how can we recognize when something is false? How can we recognize when something isn't right? It's kind of like the teller. We have to become so familiar, so intimately acquainted with the truth, with what is real, that we can quickly spot what is fraudulent and what is counterfeit. Peter writes in the second chapter here of, of Second Peter, in his final letter, 
to the church on earth. He writes about this idea that Satan is the great imitator. He's been hard at work ever since the Garden of Eden to deceive Eve and to deceive Adam. He has false Christians. He has a false gospel. He has a false sense of righteousness. And one day he will present the world a false Messiah, a false Christ. Peter and the other disciples, they had acquainted themselves intimately with the authentic Christ. For three and a half years, they spent time with Jesus. They knew him well. But they were coming to their end. They were starting to die off. They were being martyred. And the church was being left with the second generation of leaders. And part of those leaders were false counterfeiters coming into the church, teaching a different message, portraying a different Jesus. And Peter wanted the church to be on guard, to be warned against these counterfeiters. Peter writes this next section of his letter to the church to warn them of this impending danger. I've entitled this message this morning, Warning, Warning, Deception Ahead. Deception Ahead. You know, no matter how long you've been in the church, we have to be on guard against the enemy. Leading us astray with false teaching, with false instructions, with false righteousness. We have to be on guard, and Peter writes this section of scripture to warn the church about the real threat that the enemy poses to lead us down a path that is away from Jesus, that is back to deception and falsehood. Join me in uh, chapter 2 as we read. Together I'm going to read verses 1 through 10, the first part of of verse 10. But there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus and delivered them to be kept in chains of darkness until judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to ruin, making them an example to those who were going to be ungodly, and if he rescued the righteous lot distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral. For as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If all of these things are true, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Peter is very serious here, is he not? 
he understands the enemy is a real threat. The devil is a, is a mighty foe, trying to drag away and drag down anybody in this world that is seeking to go to God. The enemy is very powerful and his ways are very deceptive. This section really boils down to three subject matters. We're going to explore them a little bit this morning, and they are as follows. The, dis- the first part is the description of counterfeit teachers. Peter wants us to know what they're going to look like, what kind of devices they're going to employ among us, so that we can be on our guard against them and following after their ways. Then he talks about the demise of callous sinners in the next section, that they will not get, get away with it forever. Those who go the wrong way, those who purposely lead people astray, they're going to be called to account before a God, a righteous and holy judge. And then finally, the deliverance of Christ's followers. The deliverance of those who have faith. God will always deliver his people. And they will not suffer ultimate wrath and destruction at the hands of sinners. Let's look at this first section here. The description of these counterfeiters. What do they look like? Verses 1 through 3. But there will also be false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Think about it. In the Old Testament, there were false prophets. How did they know that they were false prophets? Well, whatever they said didn't come true. And God had a very serious thing that he laid down. He said, if somebody says they speak on my behalf, and what they say does not come about, you are to put them to death. They are a false prophet. That's a serious warning, right? It's a serious thing to stand before you today and say, thus saith the Lord. What I am saying today is not of my own authority, it comes from the word of God. And because of that, I can stand with confidence saying, thus says the Lord. There will be false teachers among you. They don't come from outside the church most of the time. They come from within. That's a scary thing, is it not? They didn't come from outside Israel and say, hey, we got a word from the Lord. No, they rose up from within Israel. And they said, thus saith the Lord. But they weren't about the word of the Lord. They were about their own agenda or about greed or about trying to do some sort of power play among the people. They will secretly bring in. That word secretly bring in translates bring in alongside. Infiltrate. They will infiltrate among God's people. It's almost like they look like us. They kind of act like us. They talk like us. But they have a whole different agenda than us that are following Jesus. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. They'll even deny the master who bought them and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their unrestrained ways, and the way of truth will be blasphemed because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with deceptive words. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. Now please keep in mind that a false teacher is not someone who teaches false doctrine out of ignorance. 
You remember Apollos in the book of Acts was teaching the people. And there were some people that had heard Paul and Peter speak. And he said, they went to Apollos afterwards and said, Paulus, you have a few things wrong. He had only heard about John's baptism. He wasn't acquainted with Jesus' words. And so they corrected him. And, and when he was corrected, he got on the right path. You see, false teachers aren't doing things out of ignorance. They're doing things intentionally. False teachers are professed believers who know the truth, but who deliberately teach lies in the hope of promoting themselves or getting a financial gain from their followers. They want to create an atmosphere where they can live to elevate and please themselves. They're not interested in the people and their welfare, and they'll use deceptive means. They'll twist the word of God to accomplish their goals. How in the world could these false teachers said to be among the people have been bought? Did you, did you read that? It says, it says that they were bought, the master who bought them. They'll even deny the master who bought them. And they will bring swift destruction on themselves. Well, here's the reality. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. So the reality is that everybody has been redeemed. Jesus' blood redeemed all of humanity back to himself. But not everybody, it's sufficient for the sins of all mankind, but not everybody has received that redemption. Not everybody has received the free gift that is available to them. And so therefore, their sins are still not covered by the redemptive blood of the Lamb. You know why? Because they've rejected that gift. Because they've decided it doesn't apply to me. I don't want it. I want something else. I want my way. I don't want God's way. So it might be sufficient for all sin, but it is not efficient. It's only efficient for those who believe and receive the forgiveness that can be theirs. So Peter points out that these false teachers, they deny the master who bought them. He redeemed all mankind, but they deny the one that could truly save them. So therefore, they are, they are false believers. They are under threat of destruction and condemnation. How can we spot a fake? I told you this uh, at the outset, that I couldn't spot the fake. For me, the counterfeit cashier's check that my son received, it looked really good. I was struggling. I was like, man, this Micah's bringing lots of money into the household. I'm proud of my son, right? And so I was ready to cash this thing. But when I arrived at a bank with somebody who's really familiar with cashier's check, they were able to instantly spot the fake. How can we spot a fake? Peter wants to give us a few clues right here in these verses. Number one, counterfeiters use deception. Counterfeiters use deception. Is God's word being twisted and distorted to fit an agenda that exalts man while diminishing God? There's your first clue. Who's being exalted from the preaching of God's word? Is it man? Is it us? Are we getting further along? Are we becoming something great? Are we getting richer? Or is God getting the glory from what's declared? 
Not only was this a false message, but the methods were false as well. Instead of openly declaring what they believed, no, they would sneak into the church under false colors and give an impression that they were of the true Christian faith. They secretly brought alongside heresies. Peter points out that false teachers use deceptive words. You know what that Greek word is? It's the Greek word for plastic. Plastic words. Words that can be distorted and twisted to fit any kind of definition that they create. So you might hear words like salvation or inspiration or even love, but they don't mean what God means in the word of God when those words are used. They've they've used plastic words. They've twisted them to mean something different, to be acceptable for the palate of our flesh instead of what God has to say. Satan is a liar. His ministers are liars too. They use the Bible not to enlighten, but to deceive. They follow the example of Satan in the very beginning. They start with this. Did God really say that marriage is between a man and a woman? That sexuality should be used only as a gift that's expressed in marriage between a man and a woman? Did God really say that? And they get you to question. Then they deny God's word. You won't surely die if you go outside of what God's plan is. You won't really suffer any consequences. There won't be a big deal that happens to you. We are enlightened now. We have so much more enlightenment than the people of the ancient world. They believe this text, really? Come on. We live in 2022. And finally, you remember what Satan did at the end of the temptation of Eve? You will be like God. Your eyes will be open. And you can run your own universe. You know, how much, how much has that message gone out in our world? Has it not? The message is, hey, you don't need to listen to God. You can be your own God. You can create your own path, your own reality. And who's to tell you that it's wrong or right? It's the same message. Satan's the same liar. Number two, counterfeiters use denial. Is Jesus being redefined, reduced, or rendered less than who he truly is? God in the flesh and Lord over all. Lord over all. You know, Jesus is just sort of like something you use or something you talk about. But is he the one that your knee bows to in every situation? Is he the one who has truly the authority? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. You remember Jesus saying those words? Well, do you live like that's true? Does he have authority in your heart and in your life and in the decisions that you make in the choices that you're confronted with? Do you consult him and his word for what's true and right? Jude chapter, Jude verse four, there's only one chapter of Jude, one, one section. And Jude was the brother of Jesus. Imagine growing up with Jesus. James was the brother of Jesus, but there was also a guy named Jude. And Jude wrote one little section of scripture that we have in our Bibles. 
And 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude are very similar. They both present this message that, look out, there's going to be false teachers coming after you if you're in Jesus Christ. And so they deny. Jude verse 4 says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Counterfeiters, number three, are dismissive of holy conduct. Has the cross become a license to do whatever pleases you rather than God? What a lie this is, right? All things are permissible. Yeah, Paul said that, but he also said all things are not beneficial. We have to always think about what benefits ourselves and others and what it glorifies God. That's the real question that we need to ask. But counterfeiters come in and say, hey, we have grace, so we can do whatever we want. We can live however we want. And they abuse grace. Unrestrained ways simply means licentious conduct. Jude accused the false teachers of turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. They want to satisfy their own lusts under the guise of a religion. The false prophets in Jeremiah's day were guilty of the same sin. What happens to the followers of false teachers? For one thing, they bring disgrace to the name of Christ. The Christian faith gets a bad name because of their filthy lives. They profess that they know God, but in their works, they deny him, being an abomination, disobedient. And unto every good work reprobate. That's Titus chapter 1 verse 16. Few things hinder the cause of Christ. Like the bad reputations of professing Christians in the church. Do you realize that? The world is looking for who Jesus is. Guess who represents him? We do. We're the messengers of hope in this world. Doesn't mean that we're going to be perfect, but if we're deceiving, if we're causing people to be confused, if we're living dirty lives and saying, yeah, we follow Jesus, God has a special place of judgment in mind for those of us who are doing that. The fourth thing they are is they're driven by greed. Are the proceeds of the ministry going towards building God's kingdom or their kingdom? It's a good question to ask, right? I don't know why it bothers me, but it just bothers me when a ministry is named after a person other than Jesus. And I know there's some good ministries out there that have have a name of the, the founder of the ministry in front of it. But sometimes I feel like what's being built here? Their kingdom, their name, their reputation, or Christ? We have to be careful. Where are the proceeds going? Now, it's not bad. A worker deserves his wages, right? But if the motivation for why you do ministry is all about money, that's the wrong motivation. God doesn't want you to be motivated by greed and by what you can get out of it. 
No, but that's what these false teachers were doing in Peter's day. The second section here, the description of counterfeit teachers was the first section. The second section is the demise of callous sinners. Starting in verse 4, all the way through verse 10, is a single sentence in the Greek. It's one of the longest sentences in the New Testament. Peter was intent on demonstrating that God will judge those who are leading his church astray. Look at verse 4 with me. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned, but threw them down into Tartarus. Tartarus is a Greek word. It is a place that was known under Greek mythology as the place where the Titans went after they rebelled against Apollos. What's interesting here is Peter uses it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to describe that this is a real place that exists. It's a dungeon. It's the basement of hell, if you will. God has a special place reserved for those who are rebelling against his authority. There are four words that are used for hell in the Bible. The first is a Hebrew word called sheol. It's used as a place where the dead go. Sheol has two compartments, if you will. One was paradise, and the other was not paradise, right? Then there were three Greek words used. Hades, you guys are probably familiar with the Greek word Hades. Here, the only time it's used in the Bible, Tartarus. And then finally, there's a Greek word called Gehenna. And Gehenna is the lake of fire that is being prepared for, for the devil and those that will go in rebellion against God and reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. These are real, real ideas, real places. The Bible talks about them. The Bible warns about them. And I don't want any of you guys to end up there. Because when you do a study of these things, they're not pleasant. I don't have time to go into full detail, but... Let's just say you don't want to end up there. What brings God's judgment? Number one, the sin of the angels. What was that sin? It was a prideful rebellion against God's authority. There's a couple things in the Bible that tell us when the, when the angels sinned. One was at the very beginning when Satan says, I'm going to be like God. Who needs God? I'm, I'm just as good. And there was a group of angels that went with Satan and rebelled against God and pride and in, in a heart of going against his authority, and God cast them out of heaven. And those are the demons that were thrown to the earth. There's another time, though, mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, and I think this is the one that Peter's referring to, because all of his examples come from Genesis here. And in Genesis chapter 6, it talks about angels coming down and having inappropriate relationships with women, human beings on earth. Listen to what it says in Genesis 6, verse 4. The Nephilim, Nephilim is a word that means fallen ones. Likely these were the angels that were cast out of heaven, that became demons. The Nephilim were on earth in those days, and also afterward. After a word what? After the flood. When the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them, 
They were the heroes of old, men of renown. Numbers chapter 13, verse 33 says, these are when the spies went into the land of Canaan. You remember the spies that went in? There were 12 of them. And they saw that there were giants in the land, and they got scared. And they came back to the people and said, God led us through the Red Sea. He got us out of Egypt. He delivered us from Pharaoh's army. He's taken care of us for 40 years. Or not at that point, it wasn't 40 years. They had just come to the, the promised land to spy it out. But they had been taken care of in the wilderness as they came to the promised land, and yet they see the giants in the land, guys that were 10 feet tall. Guys like Goliath that we read about in the Bible. Where did these guys come from? Numbers chapter 13, verse 33 said, We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we look the same to them. Jude, verse 6 says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment, on the great day. And in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, we read this Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is speaking. There were 72 disciples that he sent out to, to, to go to the villages and witness about who he was. And the 72 come back from their missionary journey. And in verse 17, they say the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 14, which describes... These events where Satan fell because of his pride and was cast to the earth. Verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What brings God's judgment? Number one, prideful rebellion against God's authority. Number two, persistent rebellion against God's authority. That was the sin of the ancient world. Look at 2 Peter 2.5. And if he did not spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, when he brought a flood on the world of the ungodly. Where did that come from? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth. And that every inclination of the thought of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Talk about bad. Every thought of the human heart was only evil all of the time. That was Noah's day. Noah built an ark for like a hundred years. And while he was building it, he's preaching to anybody who will listen. God's bringing judgment because of sin. But he's also offered salvation by faith trust him, and get onto the ark. And they laughed, and they scoffed, and they ridiculed, and they mocked, and they continued on with their living and their evil ways. Think of it. 
What a persistent sin. It says in the Bible that as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the second coming, at the coming of the Son of Man. Do we live in a world that scoffs at God? Do we live in a world that laughs about any kind of judgment that's coming? We do. And yet God has given us the same task that, he's given, that he gave um, Noah back then. And that's to simply continue to preach a message of hope. Continue to love. Continue to say, hey, salvation exists. Get on board the ark. And the door to the ark is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He brings salvation. Are you being faithful to give that message out? Even if we live in a dark, scoffing world today. We still have the same task. And why is God being so patient? We're going to hear about it later in 2 Peter. But he's being patient because he doesn't want anyone to suffer. But all to come to repentance and a knowledge of the truth. His patience is all about love. But one day that patience will run out. One day on his calendar, only God knows, the ark door will be shut. And then judgment will rain down. What brings judgment? The sin of the angels was all about prideful rebellion against God's authority. The sin of the ancient world was persistent rebellion against God's authority. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was perverse rebellion against God's authority. Look at 2 Peter 2.6. And if you reduce the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemn them to ruin, making them an example to those who are going to be ungodly. And if you rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the unrestrained behavior of the immoral, for as he lived among them, that righteous man tormented himself day by day with the lawless deeds he saw and heard. He lived in San Francisco, modern day. In a similar way, Jude verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. Do we not see that today? They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 9. This is Isaiah speaking to his own people in Judah and Jerusalem that had rebelled against God, that had abandoned righteousness before God. He speaks these words. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. That's what you call pride. You know, there's a whole movement today where they go by the, by the banner of pride. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Pride flaunts itself as another way to live outside of God's design. But pride is brought low by judgment. And judgment will fall in God's timing. They perverted and twisted love to mean something that love doesn't mean. They did not hide it. Woe to them, they have brought disaster upon themselves. The men of Sodom practiced filthy behavior, unlawful deeds. What's interesting is the law of Moses wasn't even there yet. So what, lawful what unlawful deeds are they committing? They're committing unlawful deeds against the law of nature, the law of the way God designed it. He created Adam, and then he created Eve. And yet they had decided 
we're going against the natural way God had created something. And we're going to break the law of nature. And we're going to do it our own way, whatever way suits us. And that's what is happening even today in our world. It's all around us. Church, we are not to embrace that. We are not to embrace that. Now, here's the thing. Are we to love them? Yes. Are we to preach to them a message of hope and righteousness through Jesus? Yes. But we are not to give in and say, oh, that's fine then. We'll just live that way, I guess. Don't do it. Satan keeps employing the same tactics that he did from the beginning. The good news is there is verse 9. Verse 9. If God is going to do all those things, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. The good news is this. The good news is Noah and Lot serve as an example of how God can deliver the righteous even in the midst of a cesspool in which they live. You know, what's interesting is Noah kept himself pure, right? Him and his family were kind of like off on their own, building an ark. Probably looked kind of weird, looked like the Amish maybe, right, to us today. And yet, whoever came across their path, Noah was faithful to preach to. Lot, on the other hand, he chose to live in San Francisco. But even he had a sense of this is not right. But the choice had consequences, did it not? If you read his life, the world around him began to pollute him. And he was just so beat up in his heart. He had received by faith who God, the God of Abraham, was. He had trusted him. We know that from Hebrews chapter 11. He was a man of faith. But he was tormented in his soul by what he had to live in. We're tormented as well today in 2022, but we need to look up because our redemption is not far away. We need to understand that we're living in the last days. As it was in the days of Noah, as it was in the days of Lot, so it will be. You know, Noah's day, they were destroyed by water. In Lot's day, it was destroyed by fire. Fire's coming again. The Bible says that fire will rain down on this earth. And, and all sin will be accounted for in the end. I want to invite Pastor Jeff. He's going to lead us in communion and a worship team up. But I want to ask you this question. One day fire will fall. Are you ready? Are you on the ark? Are you a, have you believed that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life? Have you embraced him as Lord over your life? Is your knee and your heart bowing before him daily? You know, I said at the outset, and I'm going to finish with this, that the only way that we can identify a counterfeit message, a counterfeit way of living, is we become intimately acquainted with the authentic Jesus. During this next section of time, we're going to do that. Jesus left for his bride, the church, some instructions. Pastor Jeff's going to walk us through that. A time where we can become acquainted and reacquainted with who Jesus is. How can we guard against being deceived, distracted, or destroyed? 
We need to spend time every day being intimately acquainted with Jesus. Let's do that as we respond this morning. Amen? Amen. Amen.